Well, you might not be able to go from zero to developer in 12 weeks. However, you have 11 years of prior professional experience, a bachelor's degree in computer science, and oh, maybe even a master's degree in computer engineering. Yeah, yeah, you can get up to speed in 12 weeks. You're going to yeah. be good. You're going to be fine. Um, and they were still, there was one company we were working with, um, I won't name them because they've still, they've actually done a really, really good job with the program, but their first pass through, they were just rejecting these resumes and we're like, let's take another look at some of those yeah and they gave them the tech test and they passed and I was like interesting well there you go yeah right hello working wife happy life listeners it's Bethany Baines thanks for tuning in for our seventh episode I was recently reminded of the Mike Tyson quote how everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth I did not get punched in the mouth, but I did get sideswiped on the parkway. Gratefully, no one was hurt except for the cars, but of course it happened on a Monday, and it was such a Monday, and it was also this day that I was totally on it. I got an awesome night's sleep, I woke up early, got the kids off to school, everything was going swimmingly until it wasn't. But you know what? You just got to pick yourself up pivot, redirect, and move on. So, okay, onward. On this week's episode, we sit down with Tammy Foreman, who is the executive director of Path Forward. Tammy has had an interesting and varied career path, but her current role is clearly her passion. Path Forward is a nonprofit that is on a mission to empower women and men to restart their careers after a break for caregiving. And the key is they're not just working with the candidates, they're working with companies to create mid-career internships that they call returnships to give these candidates a jumpstart back into the paid workforce. They're making exceptional progress in the space with some of the biggest employers on the planet. And I cannot tell you how relevant this topic is, despite us being the Working Wife Happy Life podcast. I am the first to admit that all of us and our listeners and our community are not always working, we're not always wives, and we're not always happy. Uh, In this past 24 hours, I've had two conversations on this topic, specifically about women getting back into the workforce. And one was with a tech executive who took time off to raise her daughters about a decade ago and is thinking about getting back into the workforce, but is intimidated and uncertain. The other was with a young mother who is so driven and so determined, yet is being met with, well, now that you're a mom, are you sure you really want a big job? (sighs) What message are we sending women? And what message are we giving ourselves? We discuss all of this and more on today's episode with Tammy. Enjoy. Tammy, we literally just met maybe 10 minutes ago, and I instantly feel a connection with you. And like just, I've known you forever. I know. Well, I feel like also there's we were talking about how small the world is and how you have yeah. all these different connections or the six degrees of, yeah. of people and women around uh, New York specifically and just in general across the world. Um, but I, I just feel like our missions are so aligned. Yeah. Um, you are self-described you know, just all for gender equity inside and outside the home, within yeah. the workforce. And uh, it just seemed like a very natural connection to make. Yeah. So it's great to meet you. Yeah. It's great to have you this on is here. Fun. Yeah. So you're, I, you have had a very, a varied background. So yes. I believe you started in publishing yes. and then you moved into the tech and analytics sector. Yeah. And now you're in the nonprofit sector as executive director of Path Forward which is a program to help mostly women, mostly um, women, but some men as well kind of return to the workforce after taking a break after care. Yeah, I love those stay-at-home dads. Me tell too. tell your husband to call me when okay, he's ready. Well. We'll help him. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I actually was telling him about your program. Um, actually, that's a great start. Tell us a little bit about kind of Path Forward and then your path to Path Forward. Yeah. So Path Forward's a nonprofit organization, as you said. Um, our mission is to empower people to restart their careers after caregiving. Uh, so that is mostly women. Women are 12 times more likely to be out of the workforce for caregiving than men are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they take longer breaks and they take, there's a lot, right? Yeah. So um, so a high percentage of our uh, program participants are 
women, but we the way we fulfill our mission is actually by working with employers. So mm-hmm. we recognized pretty early on that the the women were not broken. That wasn't yes. the problem. Um, it was demand. There was not enough demand being created within these companies for uh, people to come back. Um, so we work with companies to create what we call a returnship program, which is basically a sixteen, generally a sixteen week program. Structured similar to a college internship, but structured mm-hmm. around someone returning to as opposed to starting their career. Okay. So made for someone who's had a professional career that they've left that's looking to restart that career. Okay. So how that happened was I was working for a small for-profit software company called Return Path. Mm-hmm. They're a biz- they were a business services company. No reason to know them because they're not a consumer-facing company, uh, but they sold to other big businesses. Okay. So... Um, so I was working there in corporate marketing. I had had a uh, career in uh, Ink on Dead Trees and in um, <laughs> and in uh, media. So um, I found the New York media world a little hard to navigate. It yeah. wasn't my background, and I wasn't. I didn't kind of come from the right places. So I didn't mm. really. I never felt like I fit in that world in the right way. So took a chance to make a jump to this software company and ended up working in marketing. So doing corporate marketing, branding, PR, corporate communications, all that stuff. And I loved it. I loved the company and I loved the work. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then during the time that I was there, had a baby, took a mat leave, had another baby, took another mat leave. Um, and while when I came back after my second child, um, they were working on starting a returnship program. So mm. the oh, head of HR out in the Colorado office noticed, right, people in her circle who were trying to get jobs, trying to get jobs at Return Path. And the managers are like, well, Kathy, you know, this guy is doing the job right now. Mm. Why would I hire this person who hasn't worked in 10 years? Yeah. And, you know, she had been doing a lot of work with the National Center for Women Women in Information Technology around job descriptions, unconscious bias training, leadership, like all these other things. And yet (laughs) here was something happening in her very circle of friends that she, as a head of HR, couldn't actually influence within her yeah. company. And said, and okay, what year well, was that? This was probably like 2014, 2015, so right? That's so early in this right. overall conversation. Yes, yes. So they were starting doing the work with NCWIT, you know, probably in 2012, you know, 11, 12, something like that, and joining the Workforce Alliance and doing all of those things. Um, but um, she said, you know, this is a problem that clearly needs a programmatic approach mm-hmm. to solve, right? They're, they're People here are not going to just take this leap. We're going to have to make a program. Um, And so they created this returnship program. And I was just a working mom at this company thinking, oh, my God, this is awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad we're doing this. I'm so proud that we're doing this. And I'm also a publicist. And I know a good story when I see one. Yeah. So we started pitching it to media. So we got in the San Francisco Chronicle, a couple other publications. And so between that and some blogging that the executives were doing and some other things like that, some other companies started reaching out to the executives at Return Path and saying, hey, that thing that you're doing with the moms coming back, like that seems really cool. Could you teach us how to do that? Oh, that's awesome. And they kind of created what I now call the community consortium in Colorado, like SendGrid and ReadyTalk and a couple other software and technology companies in Colorado got together We'll do the promotion together, and we'll figure out, and we'll do this. We'll run it as, like, a group, like a group program. So the CEO of uh, Return Path, Matt Blumberg, sitting at his desk one day, the phone rings, which never happens anymore. (laughs) And he picks it up, and it's a woman from PayPal. And she says, hey, I read about this thing you're doing. We've been trying to do this for years. We can't figure it out. Can you help us? Oh, that's amazing. And he, of course, says yes, because CEOs just say yes. (laughs) Kind of don't know how to say no. And he said, but okay, wait a minute, my HR team can't run other companies' HR programs anymore. This is getting silly. But I want this to be a thing in the world. Right? Yeah. I, I, this, if I create a nonprofit that does this for other companies, I can have a bigger impact than my 500-person company can have because yeah. there's only so many people I can ever hire. Um, and then he told me that as like, hey, Tam, what do you think of this idea? And I said, hey, Matt, I think you need to find a new head of corporate marketing. Yes. I think I want to run You're your nonprofit run instead. That. <laughs> that is like allyship to a T. Amazing. Right? Right. It's just like I can't right. have as much impact in this space, but I can enable it right. and, and build this thing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So he's the chair of my board. Yep. Um, and yeah. That and is such an awesome. So I remember at Google... God. Now, I said earlier, it was, you know, early on in the conversation, when you talk about unconscious bias training, you talk about 
kind of building, realizing that there is this entire workforce of extraordinarily qualified, highly educated, predominantly women um, who are out of the workforce, whether it's because of lack of work life, uh, you know, work flexibility or just the exorbitant cost of childcare, um, or dependent care because women tend to care for elderly uh, parents and extended family members more than our male counterparts. Um, But I remember there was an article in Fortune, uh, Ink on Dead Trees, uh, but there was an article in Fortune, I want to say it was maybe 12 or 14 years ago, about this giant workforce of of women that are just trying to get back into it. Um, yeah. So, so gold, the first one, like the first recorded returnship program was Goldman Sachs. So Goldman mm-hmm. Sachs started a program back in 2008 and it kind of spread throughout Wall Street pretty quickly, right? Like a bunch of other banks were like, oh, that's a, again, right? Oh, look at what you're doing. That's a good idea. We should do that too. And then it kind of, I don't want to say it stalled, but like it just sort of like, okay, like a bunch of Wall Street banks are doing this thing. Yeah. And then it never really got too much past that. In fact, when Return Path started there, you know, it was like they started Kathy kind of came up with this idea, but then started doing research and was like, oh, there's some companies that are doing this. How interesting. Like, hadn't yeah. heard of this before, but we're still going to kind of do our thing and like, yeah. just do it. Um, and we just felt like there was an opportunity to make it, like, to create that demand, to go out and find employers and say, hey, this is a thing. You should be doing this, and here's why. Yeah. And the the skills and experience of the people that come into our programs is unbelievable yeah so just looking at our like our email newsletter list which i think of as like the proxy for the type of people that we um that that we attract um 98 of them have a bachelor's degree wow now let's just pause because i think a lot of people listening to this podcast probably fall into the same category that you and i do which is like oh doesn't everybody No. no yeah no it's about a third of the workforce in new york city it's only 49 percent of the workforce has a bachelor's degree Wow. So 99% is way over-indexed. About half of them have a master's degree, again, way over-indexed. And on average, they have 11 years of prior professional experience. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. However, on average, they've been out of the workforce for six and a half years. Right. Because that is the thing, right? That's when kindergarten starts. (laughs) Exactly. That's when kindergarten starts, right? Um, And they're trying to get back. And then it's like, oh, I have a six-year gap. Um, and we work with people, you know, six is the average. We work with people anywhere from the, you know, two years out on the, on the slow, on the low end up to 20 years out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting to see how that manifests. Cause it's just, you know, a lot of times it is, I was trying, Yeah, right. I was trying or I was thinking about trying, right. I was thinking about it. Yeah, but it's getting that motivation <laughs> to do it. And, and when there's a confidence issue there, too. So oh, give that. me an idea of, like, the, the scope of the program and what the, how yeah. the program works. Because, yeah. you know, it's—so um, we start with the employer, right? Mm-hmm. So that's our, our thing. We're starting yep. with the employer. So we start with the employer, and we're focused on getting them— set up and ready to do this program. So we're like, okay, let's start in the HR and recruiting department. Like, what do we need to make this a reality? And we have a whole toolkit for them, right? Nobody has to sit at, no HR director is sitting at their desk going, huh, what would a returnship program look like, right? They're taking our framework. They're applying it to their company. All right, well, so what does that look like here? But they're not trying to invent it from scratch. So we give them the tools. um, And then very importantly, we're very quickly getting in front of their hiring manager. So who's going to be part of this program? And let's train them on reviewing resumes and interviewing people who've been out of the workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, many of the companies we work with have done unconscious bias training, you know, check that box, right? But what we talk to them about is, okay, so let's talk about what the bias is that gets applied to people who've been out of the workforce. Mm -hmm. What does that tell us about them and their drive and ambition? What do we think that tells us about them, right? What do we think about people who put their family first for a period of time? Do we want them under, right? It's so interesting because when you said, when my bias was more toward now, I'm in the tech industry, so yeah. how much has tech developed or the industries evolved or things that may not be easy right. for them to jump back into and the relevance, but I'm not having the bias that they're not ambitious. Like, Because right. I know they're probably way freaking busier than I have been <laughs> over the past six years. So the research suggests that um, 
that the bias against uh, women who've given uh, people, actually, what's interesting, the, the bias against people who've given up their career for caregiving is separate from the bias against skills. Mm. Uh, so there was a study done by the University of North Carolina that showed that two resumes with an 18-month gap, if one identified itself as a caregiver, half is likely to get a call for an interview as an 18-month gap that just was like, oh, I just got laid off and I haven't been able to find a job yet. Um, so there, and, and there was a, so like taking care of the future of our world and our country versus, well, unemployable. Well, yes. Or is that too harsh? That's a little harsh. It's well, what it is, it's actually worse sort of depending on how you look at it, which is it violates the ideal worker norm. I might think that is a lovely thing for that person to do and yay, they're raising the future, but not who I want on my team, right? Mm. The person I want on my team is the person who puts the work first, right? Who puts the company first, which sounds Ugh. gross. And and it it's does. not even necessarily how we all operate at right. work. It's but just it's like again, a hiring mentality. Right, it's a filter, right? It's <clears throat> mm-hmm. a filter as you're going through these resumes. Yeah. Um, so we do see that. I certainly see in tech um, skill bias. Um, I would say... I think it's overblown, right? Yeah. I think we're, we're like what we think, um, how fast we think technology moves is not necessarily as, yeah. Right? We think it's like, oh my gosh, it's all so different. Yeah. Well, yeah. Some of it is. It's fine. I tell a lot of women that before they go on maternity leave, I'm like, especially their first one, they're so nervous. How yeah. am I not going to be at work? We have a very generous maternity leave policy at Google. The um, world is not going to change in four months. I'm like, trust me, you're going to come back. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about, same shit. <laughs> You're going to be shocked. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be sad for you. <laughs> um, and the thing we do find for those people who have been out um, for several years, particularly in technology, they know they have a skill gap mm-hmm. and they reskill. Oh. And there's so much stuff out there. And we don't do that specifically because we recognize that that's a thing that exists in the world quite uh, quite a lot of, right? So there right. are the boot camps. There are community colleges. There are all of these things. Um, but we started seeing, um, so there's a little bit of a boot camp bias in some of the tech companies, right? They're, um, you know, you can't be a developer in 12 weeks, right? Kind of thing. Got it. Okay. Um, but what we were finding is like, well, you might not be able to go from zero to developer in 12 weeks. However, if you have 11 years of prior professional experience, a bachelor's degree in computer science, and oh, maybe even a master's degree in computer engineering, yeah, yeah, you can get up to speed in 12 weeks. You're going to yeah. be good. You're going to be fine. Um, and they were still, there was one company we were working with, um, and I won't name them because they've still, they've actually done a really, really good job with the program, but their first pass through, they were just rejecting these resumes. And we're like, mm, maybe let's take another look at some of those. Yeah. And they gave them the tech test and they passed. And it was like, interesting. Well, there you go. Yeah. Right. So, um, so we learned something very valuable there. So yeah. part of what we're doing with these companies is, you know, we're doing the training that we do with everyone, but then we're working with their team, you know, week over week through the recruiting process. Okay. So what's happening? All right. Are we getting a lot of applications, but they're not getting through? All right. Let's talk about why that's happening. Yeah. Are we not getting a lot of applications? All right. Let's talk about why that's happening. Um, and helping them. So the people apply directly to the company. So they do the screening and they do the hiring, but we're kind of pushing people into their, into their funnel. And helping them Got with it. that. Got it. So it's not like a one-to-one program where you show no. up on campus with 25 candidates and go through a batch day of interviews. It's very much no. just... You're, you're still doing this on your own. Just we've got your back and we're going to help make introductions. We're gonna, we've got your back in terms of helping you get ready internally, right? We're changing the culture within this group to think about this workforce differently so they can, you know, structure a program that will bring them in. Um, and we're sending you candidates, right? We're sending, we're sending you applications because we have an email list. We do events. We do social media, right? So we're reaching Excellent. out to people who are looking for these opportunities. But then you, but also because we work with a lot of companies at the same time, we are giving lots of, right? It's not like you apply at Path Forward and we send you to a company. You can apply to five companies for well, their return. That's amazing, right? too, because that really builds their confidence and the ability to negotiate all of those things. Oh, we got to a point probably last year in Northern California where we had raised the price of returnships because we had created competition in the marketplace. And I'm like, yeah, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, no, that's sorry. amazing. Right, we had created actual, comp- you know, more competition, particularly for people with the engineering degree, right? Like there was a lot of, of, yeah. of facets to that. Um, but, um, and then once they hire, we, we work with companies in cohorts. We like them to do this with a group. Yeah. Um, can be a relatively small group depending on the size of the company. Is that um, for like accountability or it's is it for, for a couple things? It's for 
um, support to create support for the, so they're not just the only one yeah. going through this. Yeah. They have other people in their company that are going through the same thing. Um, and it's also from my perspective to really create impact. Like one person, they might work, they might not. Yeah. You bring in five to seven people, you hire, you know, three to five of them as full time. You're going to feel like that was a good investment. Yeah. Right. From all the different sure. and, and your ability to learn from that and grow that program. Cause ultimately what I want to see is I want to see companies I want to see these programs as ubiquitous as college internships are, right? Yep. I want to see lots of companies running them, and I want to see them running them every year. Like, right. not just once. And like, oh, that was fun. Right. You <laughs> like, know, like an ongoing, like it's an ongoing pipeline thing. of right. opportunities. For, right. Yeah. Right. And I feel like the best way to do that is by showing some real impact and having those groups. So then once they've hired their cohort, we provide support. Um, to the people in the program um, on the transition. So again, we're not doing job training. Our theory is whatever you need to know, you are either learning or you already know or you're learning it on the job, right? All those things are happening. But what we're talking to you about is like, okay, you've got 16 weeks. How are you going to maximize the experience mm-hmm. you're having here? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about feedback. You're going to start getting feedback in a different way than maybe you did ever and certainly that you have in the last however many years. Let's talk about what you're going to do with that and how you're going to use that to fuel your growth. Let's talk about what's happening at home, right? Mm. Let's talk about the service level agreement. What an amazing with the home clients, which may be changing dramatically. <laughs> what an amazing right? support! And how do we think about that? And mm-hmm. how do we think about, um, you know, I have met women whose husbands are great and super supportive. I have met women whose husbands are less excited right. <laughs> about the diminished level of free domestic labor that they yes. have available to them. Yes. Um, or they're supportive and also not able and, to pick up or not seeing what to pick up. And all that, right? Yeah. Like everything that we know are forces in the world and in the, in society. Uh, so we talked to them about all that. And then we're really trying to get them empowered so that by the end of the returnship, they feel ready to convert into a full-time job either at that company or to go out into the world and present themselves and get a full-time job, right? Yeah. And I tell people all the time, I'm playing a long game, right? I'm not worried that they're not going to get a job. They're going to get a job. Right. About 80% of our participants convert at that company. Oh, wow. Um, which is incredible for a workforce development yeah. program. That's a very high conversion rate. Yeah. Many of the people who don't convert there go on to jobs, right? They get jobs elsewhere. I am thinking about what's after that. And what's after that? And what's after that? Right? Um, because my motivation at the end of the day is about women's participation in the workforce and women having a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And I see this as a big part of the reason why. So I want to stand up. I'm going to like <laughs> clap right now. He's like, Woo-hoo, that's true. <laughs> you know, I graduated college in 1993. Okay. And I was at UMass, so I was a good little hippie chick. Amherst? And, yep. All right. Yep. <laughs> and state schools, we try harder. <laughs> um, and I was I did a lot of work with the LBGT community and other lefty hippie communities and things like that. And if you had told me in 1993, Tammy, when you wake up in 2020, gay marriage will be legal everywhere in the United States, but women will only hold 16% of leadership positions. Hmm. I would have said, you have that backwards. Mm -hmm. There is no way that gay marriage will ever be legal in the U.S., but yeah, no, women are going to be like 50-50, totally. I'm not sorry I was wrong about the first one. Like, I'm very excited that I was wrong about that because that's a great thing. But wow, was I wrong about that. Like, I might not have guessed 50-50 if I was really being honest, right? Because I certainly saw there But more progress. But much more progress. And part of it was, you know— being born in this, you know, early part of the 70s, like looking around like, oh, boys and girls, boys and girls. Oh, we're doing things together. Oh, boys and girls, boys and girls, right? And, you know, the valedictorian of my high school was a girl. They, you know, I went to UMass. It was boys on one side, girls on the other side. Oh, we're doing all this stuff together, right? We're graduating. We're getting jobs. And then it was like, <laughs> wait, what, yes. what happened? And I get into this software company and I love the work I did there and I loved that company. But like looking around and being like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. And the thing I noticed very early on um, that was a clue to me was that not only weren't there, there weren't very many women in leadership positions, and more importantly, the women that were in leadership positions were not mothers. Yes. They didn't have children. Sometimes they weren't even married, but if they were married, they didn't have children. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, okay, hang on. It sends a message. This is not, well, it sends a message, but it also means like, this is not going to work. We Mm -hmm. are not going to advance women if we don't recognize that there is something fundamentally broken here because mm-hmm. most women have children. Yeah. <laughs> it's like most people have children. Right, right. <laughs> and that's good because, you know, perpetuation of species and all that. Yes. <laughs> like it's a good thing. But it's yeah. something like, I think the stat is something like 80% of American women will be a mother by age 40 or 45 or something like that, yeah. right? It's a very high percentage. So if the <laughs> criteria for being in a leadership position is either not having children or having free domestic labor at home, that leaves out a lot of people. Yeah. It leaves out a lot of men too. It right? does. I it, think it leaves but, a lot of men. I mean, I this is this is my life's work is just kind of the the decision that my family came to. Now my entire time at Google, I have never once reported into a working mom. Inter- never once. Interesting. Uh to this day. Yeah, And so I see a lot of my role as I want to showcase to the people who are 10 to 15 years behind me. Yeah. This is what it looks like. Yeah. And that's why I don't hide any of my shit. Like when I come into the office, I was, by the way, just quick aside, I was nailing it yesterday. I left the house on time. (laughs) I got the kids to school. I was going to be on time to my meeting. And then I got hit on the parkway. And everybody's fine. Most important thing. Um, <clears throat> my car's a little scratched up. But, I, you know, everything was going exactly how I planned. And I was like, you know, it was just one of those mornings. It was kind of nice out. The sun was shining. I'm yeah. like, I got this. I got this. And then all of a sudden, I don't got this. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And, like, you still show up and you're like, I'm here. I'm not going to put on a happy face. I'm not going to, you know, pretend yeah. none of this happened outside of this world. We can still get our jobs done. But I, I feel like there's something about... Letting that sheen down, yeah, that is so important for women to be able to see success differently. Yeah, right. It's not all the time, every day. Yeah, and that's why life is interesting. Yeah, and sometimes super annoying yeah. when you have to, <laughs> yeah, deal with a broken car. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I would love, I would actually love to see more women stay in the workforce, and I would love to make. They see ways that we can make that possible. I would like to, where I see our program having an impact in the in the short term, but also into the long term, is I would like to see people who do decide to take some time off be able to get back mm-hmm. and get back more quickly, right? I still think there is, like, there's, there's a bunch of things that happen that keep people from, <laughs> when we do events, there's a joke I tell, um, which is a woman walked up to me and she said, you know, I've been thinking about going back to work since my son went to kindergarten. I was like, oh, okay, how old's your son now? And she said, 25. Mm. <laughs> I was like, okay, you thought for a long time. Yeah. And part of the, so there's obviously things around self-confidence and self-esteem, and I'm worried my skills aren't up to date, and I don't have time to take a class, right, the litany of reasons. But then there's also the, well, hang on, you know, full-time kindergarten still ends at, you know, if I'm lucky, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then there's this vacation and that vacation. And, you know, we were we were uh, scheduling this, Bethany. One of the things we were trying to do last week, and I was like, you know what? My kids are off. I am working, but yeah. I don't know if what's going to come up. I'm going to, I might need to do something. So I'd yeah. rather not have the stress of like, let's do this the following week. And that just comes up like my kids are at two different schools with two different schedules. So like the spring mm-hmm. holidays are coming up. They are both off for 10 days over 14 days. Oh, God. <laughs> Like, this is not helpful. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) And so I think for a lot of women, actually, it's funny. One of the things I realized when I started Path Forward and I started doing workshops with women, the part I thought I was going to be the best at was talking about how to be a successful working mom. Because I'm like, I got this. I've been doing this for, you know, seven years. I'm doing this great. I'm going to show you how to do this. And I realized very quickly there were so, plenty of places I had I had good advice, but I realized really quickly that there is something fundamentally different about going from zero back to full time, mm. as opposed to having always worked. There were certain right. systems that I had in place and expectations that mm-hmm. I had created within my home yep. that were different for someone who was um, who had been the full time caregiver and yeah. the full time cook and chauffeur and write all the things. Household organizer and yeah. And that that 
the first thing that needed to happen was a re- literally a renegotiation of that relationship mm-hmm. um, and 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 all of those relationships, depending on how old the kids are. Um, and so that was an interesting thing to see how that changes. And it's, yeah. it's difficult in a different way. And I think it is one of the things that keep that holds women out right longer than they would otherwise be out, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if in your community and in the work that you do, do you see, um, so, you know, a lot of our listeners uh, are breadwinning women. So yeah. going back to work is not necessarily a choice for them. So right. uh, similar to your path and my path, if they're having children, if they're in that 80%, yep. they are planning to go back to work. So pretty yeah. much from the moment they're pregnant, they're interviewing nannies or looking at preschools or, right. or daycare. So, um, but do you see women who maybe had uh, expected something different from their life, either with their partner's ability to earn or with uh, potentially a disillusion of the the relationship that causes them to need to reenter the workforce? Um, do you see a lot of that coming in through your community? Yes. So it's funny. I can almost tell before a woman opens her mouth when she walks up to me whether she wanted to leave the workforce or felt she was forced to leave the workforce. Mm. Like I can tell just by the way she carries herself. Um, and I see interesting. Uh, I see people who have a lot of resentment. Um, and the resentment usually shows up in a couple ways, uh, definitely have seen women who are very resentful that their husband wasn't more supportive, that they felt they didn't have a choice but to leave because he wasn't picking up his half and mm. it was just too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then resentment at the workforce. We had a woman in a, one of our early programs, it was really the Return Path, the, the pilot program at Return Path, and she, I was interviewing her and she said to me, she said, you know, I was at um, oh, she was at BMG Music, right? Which is right, like remember back in the day yes. when you could buy right buy one CD, the, the twelve get CDs 10 for right? a penny, yeah, yeah. Like penny on it, right? <laughs> little stickers, right? very very old school, right? Yeah. And um, she most had, of our listeners do uh, not remember. That. <laughs> I love working with Gen X women because I could tell that story. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Millennials look at me like, what's a penny and yeah. what's a CD? Like they don't even know what I'm talking about. There's these words we have love no you, meaning. We love you, but yes, you, you don't know what young. we're talking about. <laughs> um, but um, she said to me, you know, I asked them if I could work from home one day a week, and they said no. Like, one day a week. One day a week was the difference between her being able to stay in the workforce and not. And their answer, which is so disheartening, was like, well, if we do it for you, we'd have to do it for everybody. Uh, that's. <coughs> I'm like, okay, so. You're hitting a sore spot so, with me. So, so go ahead and do it for everybody. Or don't. Right? Like, I mean, th- that, just that. But just the, the, the lack of creativity of how do we, and, and that's right. what I feel like Path Forward is doing, is right. like, let us just help you figure out this problem that's somehow impossible to surmount, right? right? Where it's right. like, we'll, but we'll we'll build driverless cars, <laughs> and we'll put a man on the moon, but figuring out how to target your skill set with this opportunity, because I don't know, what have you been doing for the past six years? Like, that's what drives me insane about this problem, and that's what makes me realize that so many people who are making these decisions have never been in these roles. Because right. if you have been, you realize how ridiculous it sounds. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, you know, companies most – look, most of the type of jobs that we're talking about, right, the top type of jobs we have and that we're talking about – are jobs that get hired by a person at a company mm-hmm. hiring that person. Mm-hmm. And almost always, the person doing that hiring, their job is not hiring people. Their job is being an engineer, a being point. a publicist, being a lawyer, being whatever, right? They have a job. Now, obviously, at bigger companies, you can get to a point where your job really is to manage all the other people. And it's a little bit different. But so many companies, it's like one person hiring one person, one person hiring one person. And if that's not your job every day to do... You're going to do what's easy. And the Mm -hmm. easiest thing, you know, one thing I try to get people to understand, it's not just the, well, let's find someone who checks all the box on the job description. That's a little bit of part of it. But it's actually even worse than that. It's like, let's find somebody who's doing this exact same job right now somewhere else, ideally at a company that looks like ours. Yeah. Ideally at our biggest competitor. Boom. Done. Yeah. Right? Boom. Done. Like, hey, this person's doing that job. Great. It almost doesn't even, like, the job description is just sort of a proxy for what we're really doing, which is just hiring someone who's already doing that or did the job just under it or, you know, whatever, right? That's in like, yeah. 
And that, one of the things that I try to get executives to think about is that is very limiting. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is artificially shrinking the talent pool for you because there's only so many people who are doing the exact same job at companies that are more or less like you kind of sort of. So you're artificially shrinking the talent pool, which means you're paying more than you should be. To keep hiring. Right? Because you're, you're paying markup every time, right? Like you're yeah. paying more because it's like you're trying to get people to jump out of their jobs. Um, and, oh, interesting. Right? Whereas you could be using a strategy that thinks about expanding the talent pool, right? Yes. How could we make it possible for people with different backgrounds in all kinds of ways, right? All, you know, whether it's alternative pathways besides college, whether it's returnship, like there's a lot of potential out there mm-hmm. for people. Um, and even as simple as like, oh, this person worked in publishing and then in online media and then in corporate marketing. So of course she's the right person to run my brand new nonprofit startup. Exactly. <laughs> having never done nonprofit work or <laughs> run a company before. Yeah, she can do that. Yeah. Of course. Right. And you know, when we see that happen in our you know, in our companies, in our teams, whatever, like we the I think the best executives are the ones that can spot talent in that way. Mm-hmm. Who can say... Can see, like, kind of the general athlete. Well, and say, yeah. yeah. Who can say, oh, that plus that plus that equals way more than those three things together, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and they have this skill set and that skill set, and they'll figure the rest out, right? Yeah. They'll figure the rest out. Um, but if we could apply that principle more broadly, like, imagine what that could do to our companies yeah. and our ability. And, and then now all of a sudden... This workforce that's been out of the, you know, these people who've been out of the workforce for six and a half years are amazing, right? right? And so driven, right? Like and they've so now come to this driven, point, whether it's need-based or desire-based, yeah. that they are really eager to get back into the workforce and really eager to showcase their capabilities. And that is, I will say, when I'm hiring, I want hunger, Right. Like, because I don't want I don't necessarily want you to be able to sit there and do your job with your eyes closed because you're such an expert. I want you to be hungry to learn and uncover and look at it totally differently than how we're looking at it now, because that brings value. I tell people all the time, women who are coming back into the workforce generally are coming back for one of two reasons. Either they are losing their mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they are super motivated. Right. Yeah. They want to contribute and show value and right. They're in it to win it or they're financially motivated. Right. right? And you, this is answered your question that you asked. Right. Like we, I absolutely have women who, you know, husband left, husband died. He mm-hmm. lost his job. Right. Um, I actually had um, we did an event. It was a man. It was the first time a man had walked up to me and told me the story. Uh, 16 years, stay at home dad. Uh, wife divorced him. And he Oof. and Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, uh, that's rough. But he got a job through a returnship, and he's now working full-time. Woo-hoo. That's amazing. I know. I love him so but much. But, yeah, this is, this is the thing, right? right? That happened to women right. their entire lives. That's what my mother-in-law always says. She and my, husband, she and my father-in-law have been married for 50 years. Um, but when she started to see a lot of her friends get divorced, yeah. she was always like, thank God I work. Thank God I work. Thank God I work. Yeah. Um, so this yeah. is now starting to happen while we have more prevalence of breadwinning women, more prevalence of primary 100%. caregiving fathers. It's going to kind of evolve, and and those the the needs base for those men will grow. I think it'll be interesting to see how how that changes. Um, I think that you know my sample set is small. We certainly have fewer men in our program than even the data would suggest based on the number of men who are out of the workforce for caregiving. Mm -hmm. Now, when the Bureau of Labor Statistics look at those, they look at it very broadly. Yes. So it may be partly that the type of men who take time out for caregiving are not in the skill set that I'm talking about. So that may be one piece of it. I think, are there are there specific skill sets that you guys well, just focus meaning, on? Like just meaning college educated oh, and professional, oh. right? Like professional mm-hmm. level jobs. It may be it may be they belong to a different economic socioeconomic class. That's one possibility. I haven't dug into the data close enough, but I also think part of it is, um, and this I have seen anecdotally in our program. Um, generally, men take shorter breaks. Um, I don't meet as many men at events, for example, who come up to me and say I've been out for fifteen or twenty years. It's usually five. Um, uh, so they come back faster. Interesting. Um, I do also think, you know, everyone has self-esteem issues, right, when they've been out of the workforce for a long time. Like that's a, you know, it's not unique to women. 
I do think there is likely to be something. Men's attitude is kind of like, well, I was awesome then. I'm still awesome. Like, duh. Like, why wouldn't you hire me again? Right? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I was going to say, know, there's something about right, like, the I difference think, in, in genders right, and, right. and confidence anyway that we see, particularly right. around applying for right. a job or interviewing right. or negotiating, that there are right. different... Right. Um, Their networks tend to be stronger. Right? Like, like, I think there's a lot of things that make it... Um, but I think, you know, I do think the men who take time off um, face different gender bias, right? Sure. When it's, you know, women taking time off, it's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, of course, course, right? No questions asked, yeah. Whereas, like, what was wrong with him Mm. that he, you know, and so I think there's there's potential bias being faced there. Uh, But I think it will be interesting um, to see how that plays out. First of all, whether or not men really do start taking more of a caregiving role um, and then what, how they approach coming back. I think that will increase as we start to see more and more paternity leave, uh, you know, programs being offered and enforced. So a lot of programs will exist, but they don't encourage or require that those those men take those leaves. And I think that I always think, you know, my husband uh, worked remotely. So he was home every day of both my maternity leaves. Mm. And so he was very involved in the nitty gritty from day one, you know, to the point that when I went back to work with my first son, uh, I came home that weekend and, you know, they change so quickly when they're babies. And I was doing something with his bottle and my husband was like, oh, no, he likes it like this now. And I was like, that's my baby. Get away. You know, it's just like <laughs> so this different he, – he was always there and always involved. And I think the more that we see men taking advantage of this paternity leave and really creating that bond and creating that, you know, biological need to care for your child, yeah. which a lot of men, frankly – miss out on because they have to be back in the work back at work the next day the next week or two weeks in which is like nothing yeah you've missed all of it and so i think that from a society like that i think will contribute to us seeing this number rise even more yeah um now you work with in path forward you work with a lot of big name companies uh i don't know if i can share them on the podcast no you absolutely can we work with uh we work with walmart which is literally the largest private employer on the planet which is amazing and they've done a great job uh paypal was the inaugural big company right they reached out to the predecessor to um we've worked with hbe we've worked with intuit um and they're amazing um and i love that because we can have a big impact they can bring in you know bigger cohorts and and it just when a big company does something people notice and mm-hmm. it's you know it just has a real um impact internally and externally uh but we also work with a number of you know high growth startups you know we so cloudflare um which is an amazing company in san francisco they started with us they were the they were in our first like true path forward program Um, They have been in every program since for the last four years. Um, And we started with them when they were like 130 people. They're now like 1,300. Um, And so they've grown the program within the company. And, you know, it's it's fun to see that, too. It's fun to see people make an impact um, in a company like that. Um, We work with Quizlet, which is a much smaller company. They're a startup. They do... um, Parents tend to know them because they do stuff for like... It's literally quizzes for kids to take uh, study... Uh, study aid and you know they their CEO came to me and he said well I want to do this now because I don't want to wake up when we're a thousand people see that's amazing yeah right so hindsight right yeah so you know I I love the big companies because they get us a lot of press in there you know we can have a big impact but I also love the smaller companies where I see the impact may be smaller in terms of numbers but bigger in terms of percentage and, Mm -hmm. and the impact it has within that company and the potential for it to grow with that company, yeah, and, I was and say, as the they trajectory become big of, companies, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so, so, um, so if I and and if I were, you know, as a listener, I'm thinking of getting back into the workforce. Yeah, I want to be in one of these cohorts for yeah. Path Forward. What would I expect? So or what should I expect? What you would expect is so the the returnship experience is going to be different at every company because mm-hmm. every company is different. So right. your your real day to day experience is going to have to do with 
um, the team that you're on and the manager. So I tell people to interview for a returnship program the way they would interview for anything else, right? You, it's not just like, oh, is this a good opportunity that I can grab right now? Is this the right opportunity for me? Is this the right company? Is this the right yeah. role and team and all of that? Um, and, uh, but then you would, um, you know, different, and, and I also encourage people to ask what the, um, what the program includes from that company. Cause some of the bigger companies, um, have some training involved or they'll, you know, you get a chance to meet execs and things like that. The smaller companies may not have that, but they may have the ability to do different kinds of things that you couldn't do at a big company. So right. kind and of it might be more like, project-based that you, right. really meaty impact. Right. Yeah. So kind of figure out what the, what that vibe is going to be and what, what they include as part of their version of the path forward program, right? Like what's included with that. A lot of companies of all sizes actually assign mentors to returnees when they're coming in. Um, so those kinds of things, what to expect. And then from us, you can, you'll get a workshop at the beginning and the middle and the end where right? we're mm. coming in the beginning and help you kind of get yourself set up and ready we come in in the middle when it's like okay time to see and adjust and make a course correction what's going on home and work always looking at both sides so yeah right what's happening at the job what's happening at I home I love that differentiator because that's the one piece that I feel like is missing from these conversations yeah um, sorry, go ahead. Continue. Well, and then at the end, we're looking at two things, which is like, okay, how's it going at work? And let's talk about negotiating, you know, a full-time package. And let's talk about, um, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and and if you're not going to be offered a job, let's talk about how you're going to leverage this experience, how you're going to present that to the world and how, yeah. you're, and how you're going to sell yourself into the next company. And let's also talk about home. Like, let's talk about... Um, you know, does the support need to change now that this is a full-time job? Um, and um, and if you're looking again, like making sure you have the home support for that process, right? Like it's not like, oh, well, that didn't work out for mom. She's mm -hmm. back to doing her stuff for us. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Exactly. Right? right. Like this is, you know, the next is phase not, is now, right. right, a job hunt. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, how are you all supporting me in that? So we're kind of looking at all phases of the program. And then... From there, I tell people all the time, we're like the mafia. There's no getting out. So once you've been in a Path Forward <laughs> program, you're mine forever. I love it. Um, and what that means is, you know, if you've got something going on, you know, give us a call. Jake's wife, Abby, will get on the phone with you and help you think about your circumstances and what's going on. Um, and I'll get on the phone with you and think and help you think about it. And that can be good and bad stuff. That can be like, I just got laid off. You know, who's Tam Dina? Who's hiring? And it could be like, hey, I just got offered a promotion and I need to negotiate. So you know, we continue to um, help them. Um, but it also means like you also come back and help me. So right. um, our our alums come back and do alumni panels for our workshops. They you know come to our events. They do webinars with us. Like they show up. So you've you've built a real community around like, yeah. and I would I would imagine that these women there's nothing that they want to do more than give back to that community that's helped them on their path. Yes, oh, path. There see? you go. That's, I see I your love, branding I at work. <laughs> um, they both. So the community that I'm that we're trying to create is both um, for that purpose, right? For the purpose of of growing the community, but also, again, that long game I'm playing. Like, mm -hmm. I want to create the Old Girls Network, yes. right? I want to create a group of women. You know, I tell them, you know, at the end of every program, like, when you have an opportunity to hire someone, right, hire the person with a gap in the resume, right? Yeah. When, you have the, when you have the potential to create a new policy, make it friendly to moms mm -hmm. and dads, for that matter, right? Yep. Like, like, you have, like, I am putting you in this position because I want you to have influence. And what I love about our program so much is you know they stay at these companies mm -hmm. like I feel like I'm like I'm creating like an insurrectionist army full yeah. of you know people who are in these companies who come from a different perspective and think about things in a different way right and hopefully over time as their numbers grow can start to have influence within these companies right um, and how we think about all this stuff you know to come back to what we were talking about about dads you know I would really like to change the conversation around like nothing gets my back up more than when someone talks about a job as not being quite good for a mom. Like a mom wouldn't want that job because it's got a lot of travel. It's got a lot of hours. It's got a lot mm. of this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, okay, hang on a minute. Why is that an okay job for a dad? Right. Why is right. that an okay job for a dad? Right? Like, in there, like yeah. why, like if it's just not a good job for a parent, mm -hmm. right. That's <laughs> and a different to, conversation. And then we have to ask ourselves why we have so many. Why are <laughs> we asking them to do this? Yeah. <laughs> that seems like that might not mm -hmm. work in the long term Cause again, everybody has, most people have kids, but like, why is it okay mm -hmm. um, for dads to do that type of work and be absent mm -hmm. that much? 
Like, there's a I, these real, are all things that have yeah. been said to me in my career. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know whether it's uh, you know too much international travel, it's going to be really taxing. I don't think you want that. Oh, I saw. But a global experience would help you get to this next level, right? So there's this. Yes. There was a woman from IBM who I was at a a conference and she was presenting data that they had collected internally. And she presented this publicly. So I don't think this is a secret. Um, And they uh, it was a bunch of stuff around assumptions about women and mothers and whatever. And there was this one specific case where this woman was up for a promotion and they decided they were like, you know, it's just not going to be good for her kids. <sighs> that is not your decision to make. Oh, it gets better. Okay. <laughs> she did not have children. <gasps> she was not actually a mother. <laughs> so not only... I laugh because I don't want to cry this early in the morning. <laughs> so not only had they made the assumption that her children that didn't exist would be harmed by this job, right? Like oh, it was just... Oh, my wait, God. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, What? That's insane. Right. The layers of assumptions that get made. Right. So never mind that, you know, that was her decision to make whether or not it would be good for the children she didn't have. But like. I've I've heard in many conversations assumptions like, oh, well, they just got engaged. So, you know, they're going to be planning a wedding and then they're going to be, you know, probably getting pregnant in a couple of years. I'm like, so? Yeah. Yeah. Or you have the reverse of you know a father who took their paternity leave and they come back like they're walking on water yeah and i'm like no no they just did all the shit that we've been doing and then when we get back it's like oh well you're just ramping up yeah take your time it's okay you know you're not really all in it yeah and look this is this is systemic right like the other story i tell often is that my so my son has special needs and that's a whole other world, right? Mm-hmm. And those schools are, if you think the normal school system is mom-focused, the special ed world is amazingly, mo- right? Like, it is all moms all the mm. time and intense. Um, and so at the school my son used to be at, my um, husband, who's a financial planner, has all the flexibility in the world. He can do whatever. He lays on the couch. He's making money. Like, it's mm. awesome. Um <laughs> And Sounds great. he um, would take a day off every summer and go just hang out. No agenda. I'm just coming to hang out and see my son. I want to meet with a therapist. I want to see the teacher. I want to see him in the classroom, whatever. And the first time that he went, um, so the first time he we went, they looked at him and they said, you know, Mr. Foreman, what do you do that you're able to be here all day? And I can promise you they never asked me that question. Never. Right? Never, never. asked me that question. Yeah. But the thing he said to me which was so impactful, was he said, you know, the reason I like to go there by myself is when I'm there with you, they don't talk to me. Yeah. They don't. If I ask a question, they answer it to you. Mm. They don't pay attention to me. It's like when we go to buy a car. Well, it's like when we go to buy a car or, you know, it's like I like had this thing in my head like, oh, my God, it's like what women say in the boardroom. Right. Mm-hmm. I Wait, I just said that, dude. Mm-hmm. I just said the same exact thing or, you know, or I asked that smart question, not you. Right. Like whatever it was. And I was like, you know, this is where the bias works in that other direction. Yeah. And, you know, and then dads get the message like, oh, I'm not welcome here. Right. Oh, or or right, my I'm opinion not, isn't valued right. or I can't I'm not the decision maker. And, right. We dealt with that a lot with my husband, uh, certainly when the children were younger. And then eventually it's like everyone just starts to see, you know, them as the primary, as the only one. But I've stopped giving the school my phone number. (laughs) I love that. Because I can't take the phone calls anymore. I'm at work. He's available and he's a mile away. Yeah. I'm in a different borough. Yeah. Like it's going to trains, planes and automobiles for me to get to you. Yeah. My kid's puking in the nurse's office. You want to call my husband. Yeah. So like yeah. that's that's part of like the the training and sometimes you have to do something extreme like stop giving them your phone number. Yeah. But it really is like we just we're making progress, but there's a long totally. way to go. Totally. There's a long way to go. Absolutely making progress. Yeah. Um are, are you like me in that this is like your passion and you could talk about this all day long? All day long. Okay. Yeah. Cuz I I am the same. I, I realize that I wake up and live and breathe. Yeah. And and I'm like, I don't know if it's, you know, the way that my phone is giving me uh, news articles that are always about this topic or whether it's my Instagram feed or whatever <laughs> it is. But I'm like all day, all the time and never exhausted by it. No. And look, I think that, you know, some of these stories, you know, there's definitely a way in which they're depressing. But I think to me what they illuminate is like, look, 
as my sister likes to say, we have not come a long way, baby. Um, <laughs> but I think that's help. It's helpful to recognize that because I think there are a lot of people um, who, like me, assumed we had made a lot of progress mm-hmm. and that we were going to continue making that progress. Right. Uh, men and women, right? Men and women. I meet you know men all the time. <laughs> my sister used to tell a story. This was back in college. Um, in the 90s, and so she was in a whatever history class, and some dude was like, you know, women have had it good for like 100 years. And she turned to him. <laughs> Why? Because like, I could vote? Well, she turned to him and she said, dude, we haven't even been able to vote for 100 years, right? This was back in <laughs> oh, the yeah, 90s. Right, so it wasn't, right, we, yeah. right, we hadn't even all gotten all the way to 100 as we are going to this year. And so I think there is that, um, that, that thought. Like it's yeah. all, you know, it's, and, and I really want to puncture the idea that what's holding women back now is women. Right. That oh, is not what is holding yes. women back. No. The choices, the choices, I'm putting that in scare quotes because you can't see me, um, podcast listeners, right? The choices that women make are not what's holding them back, no. right? The choices they were being forced to make yeah. often are holding yeah. them back. But like, that's just not it. And until we recognize that piece of it, I don't, I think the progress is going, the progress will not Continue, will not continue and accelerate if we don't recognize that the system is broken yeah. and we need to make changes to the system. Well, that's, I mean, we started the conversation in that way where you said it's yeah. not the women that are broken, no. right? There's something about, I get really pissed off when we're like, oh, let's do the, you know, confidence mission vision setting trainings. And while they're very helpful, yeah. um, that's not the problem, no. right? It's like, how, why, why are we not talking to those that are in power, that make the hiring, that make the promotion, that make the opportunity allocation decisions, the compensation decisions, 100%. and saying, where are your blind spots? Yeah. And let, let's get really working on those because yeah. that's actually where we're going to see the real change. I do, I have to stay optimistic yeah. that change is coming. Um, but, or that it is happening around us. And I think we're seeing it. Look, Harvey Weinstein was just, he's going, uh, he's going to jail. He's spent he's, the night in jail. He spent the night in the infirmary. Oh, oh baby. I, I can't. Sorry. I'm like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> so, but I mean, that is progress, right? Progress. So we are seeing, and, and I, I was thinking about this all night. There's this awesome, uh, Maya Angelou quote about how when one woman stands up for herself, without possibly knowing it, and I might be slaughtering this, but she's standing up for all women, right? Yeah. And that to me is the epitome of this of this moment or the epitome of yeah. Serena Williams being like, you know what, this shit is hard and we show up and we do this every day. Yeah. Um and and that the concept of, you know, women the infighting across women or women not lifting each other up, like I it's just not true. No. And so rewriting that narrative rewriting our positioning, helping our allies get more aware of their blind spots. Yes. Um, programs like yours that are going to one company at a time yeah. shift not only the mindset, but the the profile of yeah. their workforce. Um, this is I all think, progress. You know, I'm trying to get people to think differently about how they hire, period, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Full stop. I, one of the things we talk about in our interview training is like, you know, someone who's been out of the workforce for five, if one of your filters is how someone walks into the room when they come in for an interview, right? If one of your filters is, do they appear confident? Like, I'm going to kill this, right? Well, someone who's been out of the workforce for five, 10 years is not going to show up that way. That is not mm-hmm. how they're going to walk into your room, mm-hmm. right? So let's talk about how we're going to get to whether or not they can do the job that does not include a filter of like, do they, do they display confidence? Mm-hmm. So then I say, and by the way, there's a lot of women who don't show up that way no matter what. Right. That's just not how women show up. Right. And the guy who shows up that way may or may not actually be able to do the job. Right. <laughs> confidence. Hundred Confidence and confidence yeah. are not actually correlated. Right. <laughs> they are negatively correlated. Right. <laughs> right. I just saw it. The most confident tends to be the least confident. Right. I just saw somebody tweet that why are why are the people who don't have imposter syndromes the ones that really need it? <laughs> Right? It's like so true. Yes. And meanwhile, you have these perfectly accomplished people yes. who feel like they're frauds. Yes. And we and we filter on it all the time. Yeah. And um and you know, and, and just and just general bias work around like, you know, even when we go into a company after they've done the returnship program and you know, this some people got converted or maybe and maybe some didn't work out, and it's like, okay, 
Have you ever hired a Stanford grad who didn't work out? Mm. Okay, did you stop hiring all Stanford grads after that? Mm-hmm. I don't think you did. Right. <laughs> I right. think you keep I think you keep hiring you from keep there, going. right? Yeah. So like, you Good know, point. again, seeing people as individuals and yeah. not part of a group. Right. Right. So all of that work is like an ongoing thing, um, but you know, where where I'll I'll let you have a happy a happy moment. So okay. here's where I see change happening. So um with uh, Walmart, so the first program they did was with a cohort of 30. That's a pilot at Walmart. When you're the largest private employer on the planet, that's you get to do say. it. Yeah, <laughs> which a is good a size which group. is incredible, yeah. right? Um, and when they went to do round two, um, they uh, they had the manager sign up. Like managers had to raise their hand to be part of this program, um, and they had um, they ended up with enough managers to fill 60 slots. Um, and that was with hand raising. And it wow. was because the people who stayed um, and were working were so amazing that managers were like, oh, yeah, yeah. We want that. I want yeah. that. Right. Yeah. So that's where I see the change happening is yeah. that like there's always going to be a few intrepid souls who are willing to be, you know, the first, the first and maybe they were voluntold and whatever. Yep. Right. There's all I kinds of ways that, that happens. Yeah. Right. But um, but then and the same thing happened at at PayPal where it went from like nine to 30. And again, it was managers being like, oh, I saw, yeah. I saw. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's so important to recognize, and it's part of our ethos, this is not a feel good in the sense that like, oh, we wrote a check. And it's it's not a one-time you, thing. You can write a check. Yeah. That's fabulous. I <laughs> love when you do that. Yes, we'll, we take can, it. we'll take it. Yes. Um, but it is, you know, you have to hire people. You have to do the work, um, but you get the reward. And the reward you get is someone on your team doing amazing work, right? right. The reward you get um, is, is exactly you know, aligned to the, your goal right. at the outset. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, and they stay and they're making an impact, right? Like it, this is a, you know, again, it's not just like the check we wrote and okay, like, oh, let's all pat ourselves on the back and feel yeah. good about that. It's like, no, these are, they're, they're here. Yeah. They're here and they're staying. Yeah. I want to, um, I want to ask you one, just switching gears for one uh, quick moment here because you also have written a ton of thought pieces for Forbes. Yes. And there was one in particular that jumped out to me, um, and I would love to hear your insights from this. And it was to ask to negotiate for a raise when you don't want one. So this was based on—so first of all, I I come from a working-class background, right? My dad was a telephone lineman. He climbed a, you know, climbed a tra- climbed telephone poles, wore a hard hat. My mother was a hairdresser. So I very much think of myself in the corporate world as an immigrant, right? I am not native to this world. I don't understand its folk ways. It's taken me 30 years to figure and that's out. that's going right. back to the beginning of our conversation right. where you said you just didn't fe- feel like you fit in. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I, and, and like any immigrant to an era, you know, I, I don't, I'll never be a native, right? Yeah. I'm always figuring it out. Yeah. And I'm, I may be fairly well assimilated, but I'm always figuring it out. And so, um, so I love research about careers and I love reading about, and I love counterintuitive advice because there's always things that seem sort of, and this was based on, uh, it was a research study um, that basically found that people tend to ask for raises when, or let me put it a different way. When people get very frustrated and feel like, you know, they're, they're, a play, they're, they're kind of miserable, they're mm-hmm. miserable in their job, they're miserable at their company, one of the things they'll do is like, well, they should pay me more. And they'll go ask yeah. for the raise. And when they do it at that moment, they're very unlikely to be successful because it turns out, of course, part of the reason they're miserable is they're not actually performing well. Mm. Whether that's their fault or the company or whatever, right, there's, you know, their performance has dipped, which is part of the thing. Um, and in fact, when you are doing well and you're performing well, you tend to be happier, but people are less likely to ask for races then right? because they're happy and they're doing yeah. great. And, you know, and so obviously this is, you know, a study that's looking at, you know, a lot of statistical stuff. Your, your mileage may vary as they say. Yeah. Um, but I think what I liked about it was just taking a step back and thinking about like, okay, where am I in my career at this company? You know, what's going well, what's not going well? What do I need to be happy? You know, where am I creating value? And sort of constructing a negotiation strategy. And I loved listening mm. to Dr. Medvedsk's um, thing about that. Like, hey, like episode three for our listeners. That's right. <laughs> you know, she talks about like the framework and the you know, and context and all of those things. Right. So not just kind of going in and popping off like, hey, I deserve more money. Right. Not that women tend to do that anyway. 
Um, but really thinking about like, hey, you know, maybe the first thing I need to do is like, you know, do some, you know, show some accomplishments. Right. Like um, package it all and up. And package them. it. Yeah. And like, you know, if I'm miserable because I'm not performing well, okay, well, what can I do to improve my performance? Or is this not the right place for me? And actually mm-hmm. what I want to do is go, you know, somewhere else. Is right. The, is the asking for the raise a sort of last ditch? Like, okay, you know, show me what you got. Or, right. Right. And just thinking about it in a different way. And I just liked that it was kind of counterintuitive from yeah. the way we think about it. It, I think you should ask for a raise whenever you think you deserve a raise. Like right. I think that's you know probably you know the research on negotiating a student is interesting, right? There are a lot of research that suggests that women do negotiate and they do ask, they just don't get, right? Mm-hmm. So I think part of to me part of the strategy of being strategic about it is like when are you most likely to be successful? Yeah, and you're most likely to be successful in, the, in getting a moments? raise. When you're doing really well, which is when you are feeling very, and if you're doing really well, you're probably feeling fairly satisfied, which means you may not be thinking about it that way, but that's the time, right? The time to ask is when you are actually doing really well and feeling great. Yep. Because A, you're going to be positive, right? You're going to present positively, which is always better than presenting resentfully. Yes. (laughs) That doesn't, that's just a life It may feel better to present resentfully. (laughs) (laughs) Just rarely, rarely, rarely works out. Um, But you're also likely in a stronger position. Yeah. Um, But if, you know, I think it's always helpful if you're suddenly like, I need a raise to kind of ask your, like walk yourself through like what, is it really because, hey, I've accomplished a lot of things and I haven't been recognized for that? Great. Go in and ask. But if it's like, I'm feeling really, you know, underappreciated and underrecognized and, you know, maybe like think about solving those problems in a different way first. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's almost like giving your, your, as a manager, giving your busiest person the work. Yeah. Right. It's just like, you know, they're in that zone and you know that they're going to crush through it. But yeah. Um, so this has been a fascinating conversation. I love how you're interweaving, um, the idea of career, growth and re-entry with your passion of excelling women in the workforce and across boards and senior executives more broadly in companies small and large. If I am a listener that runs a company or wants to get involved in the Path Forward program, where should I go? Hello at pathforward.org. Okay. That goes to everyone on the staff. We will quickly get back to you. It's that simple. And are you global or are you U.S.-based? We are U.S.-based. We have a couple global companies that have worked with us um, on their U.S. programs and then extrapolated that out. So HPE is a great example of that. So they worked with us and we helped support their program in India. We can't support the marketing efforts outside the U.S. We're just a U.S.-based. From an audience perspective, we're U.S.-based. But a lot of the things that we talk to the company about can, can be applied can globally. be applied globally. Yeah. So, um, so that's how. But we work with people in the U.S. primarily. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love what you're doing. I'm so thrilled that we made this introduction yeah. through folks you work with and I work with as a as a couple. It's and amazing. hopefully, we are uh, encouraging well balanced, well supportive uh, young millennial couples as they go down their love path it. of life. I love it. Awesome, <laughs> Bethany. Thanks for this everything great. you're doing. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in for our conversation in Newsstand Studios at Rock Center. Lots more to come every Tuesday. So head on over to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Please feel free to leave us a review to give us some direct feedback and also to help get the podcast in front of more eyes and ears. We really appreciate your support. Until next time. <laughs>